cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. The round reminds us we're all active participants as we stay on this journey together. We're all here to receive something this morning, but we also all have something to give. So as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love, we can also pour out love by serving others. If it's your first time with us, you would not know this, but we are in the midst of our Established in Love campaign. We are securing commitments so that we can start building a church building on South Main Street in Davidson. And we want everybody, individuals, families, we want everybody to be meaningfully involved with our Established in Love campaign. And so this morning, in your chair, at least in every other chair, there is an Established in Love booklet. If you have not seen the booklet, it is yours. If you and your neighbor both want an Established in Love booklet, after the service, go over to one of the spots where there's no one sitting, and you can both have one. You'll be good. If you would prefer to look at stuff online... Uh, you can go to storyhill.org, what will eventually be our church website, but is now the landing page for Established in Love, storyhill.org, and you can get all the same information as the booklet. But if you have not already done so, we're, we're getting close to the end of the, f- the first part of the campaign, so now is the time to really spend time with the booklet, spend time with God, talk to people you trust. If you've never been to the land, go to the land. It's at 480-480 South Main Street in Davidson. Give yourself 30 minutes. There's a worship walk that will guide you around the land to pray and pray about how you can take a new step of faith, a new step of generosity with all of us together, able to make an impact for generations to come. The goals of the campaign, first, the spiritual growth of the congregation, that you and I will grow closer to God as we take new steps of generosity, new steps of faith, as we repurpose some of our skills and our resources and our time for God's kingdom. The second goal of the campaign is that if we do all that together, if all of us take a step of faith, all of us take a step of generosity, then I think we'll meet our second goal of the campaign, which is to raise $4.8 million for the construction of this building on South Main Street. Throughout the whole Established in Love, we have to keep reminding ourselves a church building is not the Holy Grail. We're going to do the Last Supper here in a few weeks. That's the Holy Grail. Thank you very much. That's actually technically where the phrase comes from. A church building is not the Holy Grail. A church building is a tool for long-term, vibrant ministry in our community. A church building is an opportunity to open our doors to our neighbors seven days a week, our down-the-street neighbors, our most vulnerable neighbors. Ultimately, it's our prayer that God will take the God stories of these first 10 years of our church and build upon them, multiply them for generations to come. And we want you to be part of that. So in the back of the booklet, there is a commitment card. There's also a digital commitment card at storyhill.org if you would prefer that. We're asking everybody for a three-year commitment over and above your regular giving to the church. Our regular giving to the church uh, finances the weekend, the week-out ministry and mission of the church. This is over and above giving for the one-time work of building a church building. So a three-year commitment over and above your regular giving to the church. We're asking everyone to turn in their commitment on or before 
September 19th, they all said. And as I checked my watch, September 19th is next Sunday. Next Sunday. So, if you have not spent any time with the booklet or the commitment card, now's the time to do it. Look at the commitment card, look at the booklet, talk to God, talk to the people who live under your roof, figure out what it will mean for you to take a new step of faith, a new step of generosity as part of established in love. If you cannot be here next Sunday, you can hand in your commitment card today during the response time after the sermon. You can do the digital card. You can bring it by the church office. You can call me at two in the morning and I'll come get it. I mean, whatever it takes, we can do this. But it's next Sunday is when we're asking everyone to bring their commitment cards. Some people are asking me, Michael, how are you doing with this whole thing? How are you holding up? I feel good. I feel really good. We just finished a land campaign to actually buy the land outright called Rooted. The campaign ended a year early and $300,000 over the the needed uh, commitment amount. So God is really stirring up generosity inside of our congregation. So it's a really beautiful thing to see. So I feel good. And 4.8 million is a really big number. So that keeps me just a little bit nervous, a little bit praying and such. So that's a good thing. But I think if all of us, again, take this step together, a sacrificial, a generous step together, I think we'll get there. And that includes me and Mandy, my wife. Like we're having to figure out what our commitment's going to be. Because for the Rooted Land Campaign, we made what at the time was the largest charitable commitment we had ever made. And what we saw is that what the old preachers used to say, you cannot outgive God. And so we've watched God provide for all of our needs. We've watched Him provide the money to fulfill that commitment long before we thought we'd be able to. So now we're asking, what does it mean for us to take a sacrificial, a next step of faith and generosity as part of established in love? So we know that we're going to double what we pledged to Rooted. What we've got to figure out this week is, should we do more than that? And I don't know what that answer will be. Uh, I almost hesitate to tell you that, but that's kind of what we're trying to figure out because we need to be part of this, part of this too. Now, if you just showed up like a month ago, you're like, I would love to double my Rooted number and just call it a day. (laughs) Don't do that. I'll double your Rooted number. So... If all of us will take this step of faith together, I think God will meet us at that goal. As part of this whole campaign, what we're trying to emphasize is it's not ultimately about a building. It's about God's stories. It's about the way God changes people's lives and has changed people's lives over the first 10 years of the church. So we want... Have a good Sunday. Hello, my name is Will (laughs) Once is enough, Will. Thank you. That's Will. As you can imagine, as he continues to uh, battle with health and and seizure issues, it made sense for him to not be here in person to do that, but to share it with us remotely. But we are so thankful for God's work in his uh, life personally, his family's life, and now the way he's leading them to uh, be foster parents. So we will have to keep reminding ourselves that it's about God's stories. It's about God's work in people's lives. And so a building is ultimately our prayer that God will take the God stories of these first 10 years and build on them and multiply them, 
repeat them. Your God story, my God story, Will's God story, hundreds of God stories. God will keep building on these for generations to come. Well, today we're going to keep going with our year-long series of sermons called The Story. All of 2021, we're going through the big picture of the Bible that from the beginning of time, God has been writing a great story in this world, and you and I are invited to find our place in it. We're trying to make the Bible a little less big, a little less intimidating, so we have resources like reading plans, like videos that can help. Throughout the first half of the Bible, we've been hearing about a coming hero, a wounded champion called the Messiah, the Christ who's going to lead an eternal kingdom. Now we're in the second half of the Bible, and we've been introduced to Jesus as the one we've been waiting for, that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Christ, that He's fully God, He's fully human, the God of all creation has wrapped Himself in humanity and moved into the neighborhood. And He came on a rescue mission for you and for me to reconcile us to God. Jesus has come to establish God's kingdom and to do so in love. And now he's inviting you and me and everyone into the kingdom with these words, come follow me. Come follow me and I will repurpose your life. Today we want to look at one of the most pivotal scenes of the whole Bible, which Amy read for us earlier. In this uh, In this passage, Jesus' true identity becomes clear to his first disciples. Now, if you don't have a Bible, on the way out the gym, you can always just grab a Bible off the table. We would love to have you have a Bible of your own. And the setup team and the packup team thank you in advance for taking a Bible. That does remind me, on the, on the um, actual commitment card, if you haven't looked at it yet, you'll notice there are financial commitments, but there are also other commitments, like getting more engaged in the church. So even if you're not totally sure what you can do financially, be sure to look at the commitment card so you can find ways that you can be more engaged in the life of the church. So like it, next week, if I mention it's September 19th is when you're going to bring them. Uh, on September 19th, you could hand it in and say you want to start serving in the church. You could be on the setup or pack-up team. And you could be the one thanking us for taking Bibles. Who knows what's going to happen? My question for you this morning is this. What do your friends and family think about Jesus? What do your friends and family think about Jesus? Do they think he's an interesting guy, interesting historical figure? Maybe, as Will said, they see him as their Savior and Lord, or that he's a good moral teacher, or that he was a prophet from God. Maybe that he was a madman or a deceiver of the masses. People in Jesus' day and time thought all those things about him. What do your friends and family think about Jesus? Now a slightly different question. What do you think about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? That's a more personal question. That's a riskier question. We've moved past polite conversation. I'm asking you to have a conviction, to stake a claim. I'm forcing you into a moment of unrehearsed risk where your answer really matters. So, really, what do you think about Jesus? And if your answer is, I don't know, but I need to find out, you're at the right place. What do you think about Jesus? In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus does a very similar thing with his first followers, his first disciples. It begins in verse 13. 
that says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, Son of Man is a title, and it's a title for Jesus. Always a safe guess at church. It's a title for Jesus. Jesus says, who do people say the Son of Man is? That's a, that's a title of Jesus. At this point in the Bible, we've seen Jesus teach. We've seen Jesus heal. Last week, we saw Jesus muzzle that storm. There's starting to be buzz and confusion about who Jesus is. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and asks, who do people say that I am? The disciples check all their polling data, and this is what they say. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So a lot of folks think that Jesus is some kind of prophet. In fact, he's on par with the greatest prophets God's people had ever known. But then Jesus flips the question a little bit. He makes it more personal. He presents the disciples a moment of unrehearsed risk where their answer matters more than just giving a report. Jesus says this, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? But what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So Jesus asked this question, who do you say that I am? One of the disciples named Simon sort of blurts out the answer, like he can't hold it in any longer. You know when your teacher asks a question and there's always that respectful pause where you hope someone else will answer it? Who's going to take this one pause? There's no, that that pause doesn't exist here. Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Simon goes, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He just sort of blurts out the answer like he can't hold it in any longer. You are the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God, and this answer thrills Jesus. He says a slightly holier version of, yes, finally, you understand. He's thrilled by this answer for at least two reasons. One is that Simon calls him the Son of God, and Jesus has already called himself the Son of Man. So that Simon has come to understand that Jesus contains both the fullness of God and the fullness of humanity. The second reason Jesus is thrilled by Simon's answer is that Simon calls him the Messiah, and Messiah is a title, and it means the same thing as Christ. So when you call Jesus Christ or Jesus the Christ, that's not Jesus' last name, it's a title. In other words, that you, Jesus, are the one we've been waiting for. The whole first half of the Bible has been anticipating you. Every human heart longs for you. You are the prophet of all prophets, the priest of all priests, the king of all kings. You're the climax of God's creation. You're at the hinge point of all history. You have come to forever change the lives of God's people. The God of all space and time is here with us. The wait is over. Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah, is the Son of the living God. You've come, and you've come to establish God's kingdom, to do so in love, to lead God's kingdom forever. Simon sees Jesus for who he actually is. And this is Jesus' response. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, 
And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This whole exchange took a matter of seconds. Like the length of time it takes to get wheeled into the operating room for emergency brain surgery. It took a matter of seconds, and yet it forever changed the world. And this exchange is all about identity. Simon calls, recognizes Jesus as the Messiah, and then Jesus looks back at Simon and says, and you are Peter, the rock on which I will build my church. So, Simon declares Jesus to be the Messiah, but then Jesus declares Simon to be Peter. So this is all about identity. This is about who people really are. Let me try to walk this through for a minute. It is interesting, of course, this is also the first example of someone in all of church history, this is the first example of someone being given a job they weren't quite ready for. And it's Jesus who did it. A lot of on-the-job training is going to be required to be the rock on which Jesus will build the church. We'll get to see that. But again, to unpack it, there's a disciple named Simon. He looks at Jesus. He says, Jesus, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ. So then Jesus looks back at Simon and says, and you, Simon, are the rock on which I will build my church. Now, if you take the word rock and put it in the language they spoke, you get the word Cephas, C-E-P-H-A-S. This is not on the final. You don't have to worry about it. C-E-P-H-A-S. If you take the word Cephas and put it in the Greek that the New Testament is written in, you get the word Petros, from which we get the name Peter. Putting it all together then, Simon says, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the hinge point of all history at which Jesus says, and Simon, you are Peter. You are the rock, the rock on which I will build my church. So Simon says who Jesus truly is, and then Jesus says who Simon truly is. Simon says who Jesus truly is, and then Jesus says who Simon truly is. This is all about identity. And over time, people stopped even calling him Simon. They started calling him Peter. The point being, seeing Jesus for who he is is the foundation of our lives. Seeing Jesus for who he is is the foundation of our lives. It is for us, as it was for Simon, the start of a whole new life. Seeing Jesus for who he really is, is foundational. It's the concrete slab. Without the concrete slab, without the foundation, the lives we build on them will not stand up. They won't withstand the storms and the struggles that are coming. But laying the foundation is not the final act. Laying a foundation is the beginning. If you go to a vacant lot, like at 480 South Main Street, if you go to a vacant lot and all you see is a foundation, you don't say, oh good, they're finished. You say to yourself, self, I wonder when they'll start. Laying a foundation is the beginning. So as a follower of Jesus, or if today or in the future you become a follower of Jesus, I just want us to have an accurate view of the Christian life. 
that seeing Jesus rightly, becoming a Christian, is not the goal of life. Don't fire me for saying that. It's not the goal of life. Seeing Jesus rightly and becoming a Christian are the beginning of life. When you realize who Jesus is and you commit your life to Him, that is not the finish line, it is the starting line. It is not the finished product, it is the foundation. In in your moment of faith, in your moment of commitment, your foot steps over the starting line, and the race has begun. The race has begun. You've been gifted with a new identity. You are God's son, you are God's daughter by faith. It's amazing what happens when God's extravagant grace meets our struggling faith. When God's extravagant grace meets our struggling faith, we get a new identity. As God's son or daughter by faith, we get grafted into God's family tree forever. In the moment of our commitment, the foundation is poured. But once the foundation is poured, there's still a lot of constructing to do. There's still a grand adventure ahead. The point being, you don't have to have everything all together before you commit to Jesus. You don't have to have all your questions answered, all your doubts resolved, all your shortcomings under control. Your commitment to Jesus the Christ is the beginning, not the end. So you've got plenty of time for your questions and your doubts and your shortcomings, and you'll get to work on those in a relationship with the God who made you and the God who loves you. So the whole point here is that the goal of the Christian life is not maintenance. The goal of the Christian life is not keeping up appearances. The goal of the Christian life is once you've laid the foundation of seeing Jesus for who He is and committing to Him, the goal of the Christian life is to build something beautiful on that foundation, to work with Jesus to build something redemptive on that foundation, to press on to your heavenly homecoming. It's not unlike the building we hope to build on South Main Street. We're not getting into this because we're excited about the maintenance. It's not primarily about maintenance any more than your life is primarily about maintenance. It's not about keeping up appearances like, hey, we're a real church now. We have an actual building. It's about creating something beautiful. And not just the building, but the people, the community, creating something beautiful, built on the foundation of Jesus' identity, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, God, the Son of God, the central figure of God's plan. He desires to be the central figure of your life. Built on the foundation of Jesus' true identity, Jesus is creating something beautiful in us. Jesus is creating something beautiful through us. So that years from now, generations from now, people can connect with a God who will restore them, will redeem them, will repurpose them, will reclaim them, and can do it surrounded by a community who will love and walk with them through it all. It is a place where you and I and the people who come after us and one more person at a time can see who we really are because we see who Jesus really is. That's sort of my point this morning. You and I begin to see clearly who we really are once we see clearly who Jesus really is. We start to see our identity more plainly once we see Jesus' identity more plainly. 
a place where we can see who we really are because we see clearly who Jesus really is. That he's the prophet of all prophets, the priest of all priests. He is a friend of sinners, a friend of the suffering, a friend of the humble. He is the bane of the self-righteous. He is a man of sorrows, bruised for our shortcomings, crushed for our rebellion. He is the stone the builders rejected, but he has become the cornerstone. On Friday, they thought he was a thief, but on Sunday, he showed that he was the king. In fact, the king of kings and the Lord of lords who put death in his grave. He's the rock of ages, the beginning and the end. He was and he is and he is to come. He is the climax of God's creation. He is the hinge point of all history. He is the bread of life to those who are hungry. He is the living water to those who are thirsty. He is desired by all nations and by every human heart. The Bible calls him the day spring, which means the sunrise, meaning he is our new day, our new hope, our fresh start. The scripture calls him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. In the midst of whatever you're going through, God is with you. He is with you, supporting you, encouraging you, comforting you, forgiving you, changing you, transforming you. Simon summed all that up by saying, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. So last week, Gray asked us to reflect on the question of Jesus, which was, why are you so afraid? Today, I'd like us to do the same thing, but with a different question. How would you respond to this question of Jesus? But what about you? Who do you say I am? Yeah, that's what everybody else thinks, but what about you? Who do you say I am? In many ways, that's what Will's story was. Having to differentiate between who his family or his community growing up said that he was, said that Jesus was, and who Will actually says that Jesus is. It's a moment of unrehearsed risk. Jesus can see through every churchy answer. In the depths of your heart, in the depths of my heart, in the depths of our mind, who do we say that Jesus is really? What about you? Who do you say I am? So Simon blurted out his answer, and Jesus looked back to him and said, and you are Peter, the rock on which I will build my church. And then Jesus said this, oh, and by the way, don't tell anybody I'm the Messiah. Not yet. I have to go to Jerusalem. I have to be killed. I will rise up on the third day. And at that point, you can tell the whole world. And you know the disciples are looking at themselves thinking, what have we gotten ourselves into? Seeing Jesus for who he really was was only the beginning for them. It was only the beginning. Just like for you and me. Seeing Jesus for who he really is is only the beginning. It's only the beginning of beginning to see yourself more clearly, only the beginning of seeing your life more clearly, only the beginning of seeing your purpose more clearly. Once you lay the foundation, that's when the beautiful building begins. Once you step over the starting line, 
That's when a new adventure awaits. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever He's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, all these millennia later, your question still makes us pause. What about you? Who do you say I am? Lord, for those of us who don't know, I pray that the question will turn our spiritual meandering into a true spiritual search. A question that really needs an answer. And an answer that's going to require us to dig deep in ourselves, deep into the the truth of, of your creation. And I pray we would not hold back in our search. Lord, for those of us who have come to a place like Simon did, we're starting to develop some convictions around that question. I pray we might follow his example and just blurt it out. that we would just take that step of beginning a new adventure with you because we see who you truly are. And we don't know what all it's going to mean, but it's time to take the step. And Lord, I pray for those of us who have pretty well settled out this is the foundation of our lives and who you truly are. Lord, I pray we would not fall into maintenance mode or keeping up appearances mode, but that we would continue to work with you to build something redemptive and beautiful in our lives. And Lord, will you use the situation we're going through? Will will you use the established and love opportunity? Will you use the people in our lives? Use all these things to make us the people you've always wanted us to be. We pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand. Let's respond and work.
worship together with our voices.